Hello, everyone, and welcome to Old Testament in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Dynek, and this week we're picking back up in Genesis 42 through 45 and talking about forgiveness. Joseph here takes his brothers on a journey of forgiveness and helps us learn a few things along the way as we also look at New Testament forgiveness. It's another hard but necessary road, so let's get on our way. I hope you all had a happy New Year and a Merry Christmas, and I want to apologize for two weeks in a row without a podcast episode. The second week after kind of the holiday break, I woke up Tuesday morning, actually kind of in the middle of the night, with a very, very sore throat, and I was sick and couch-ridden for almost the next, pretty much the rest of the week. I was finally able to kind of start getting up and moving around a little bit around Christmas time, but was still like really not in a good place to try to record anything or really do much work at all. And so that's why the break, (laughs) the unannounced break, but we're back. We've got two episodes left to go. As I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about Joseph in large part this week. And then next week, we're just going to kind of wrap up covering really quickly Jacob and all his sons and all their sons and all their livestock and families and everything moving to Egypt. A couple of blessings for Joseph's sons, the blessings of the rest of Jacob's children, and then kind of finishing out the last chapter. So today, though, we're going to once again just kind of quickly move through the events of the couple of chapters and then get into our topic specifically for today. So Genesis 42, Joseph's brothers arrive. They left Benjamin behind as the last remaining son of Rachel and as now Jacob's new favorite. Joseph himself recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He'd been away for quite a while and probably had adopted all of the dress and grooming attitudes and styles of the Egyptians. And it says that he remembered his dream of them bowing to him when they come to him and bowed him to ask for grain. And he responds as if in anger that they are spies coming from a distant land to spy out the weaknesses of Egypt. They deny it up and down. So he eventually sells them the grain, says next time you come here, you have to bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. And he secretly returns their silver to them, puts the silver in their sacks of grain back on their donkeys. They make it a ways back home before they realize it's there. And so they go home and recount the whole event to Jacob. Then in Genesis 43, they return. It was probably some time before they came back. It doesn't specify the exact amount of time, but considering they had you know, their donkeys loaded with grain, it's probably a good while. And it is implied that each brother would have had their own donkey. So we could think of 10 donkeys loaded with grain. So they go back to Egypt. They convince Jacob to let Benjamin go with them. And when they get there, they try to return the silver to the steward, but they are told that all is well. The steward says, no, we were paid. You're fine. Somehow some miracles occurred that silver has been returned to your sacks, but don't worry about it. And then in chapter 44, they buy their grain and Joseph secretly again returns their silver and one of the cups from his home. So they get back on the road to Canaan, think everything is okay. By Joseph's instruction, the steward pursues them and catches up to them and accuses them of having this silver cup stolen from his master's house. They deny it and say, whoever has the silver cup will die. This is one of the early instances of the Bible where we have this example of don't make a promise (laughs) that whoever did the wrong thing will die because it's usually the person you want to die the least. And sure enough, the brother with the cup is Benjamin. So they all return to Egypt, to Joseph's house, feeling as though their sins 
for how they treated Joseph has been returned to them. We will notice that it was Judah here who is the one who pleads for Benjamin. And Judah was the one who first suggested that they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites back in chapter 37. So he now cares very deeply for the youngest brother, the favorite brother. So he makes this long plea to Joseph to spare Benjamin's life, to take him instead. And so Joseph recognizes that they are repentant. So in Genesis 45, we reach the time of forgiveness. Joseph makes himself known to his brothers and quickly absolves them of guilt. For he knows that if they had not sold him, he would not have been in position to save so many lives. And so even though they intended harm to him, it was actually within God's plan that Joseph end up in Egypt. So from here, we can glean that there are times where the sins of others against you are not committed outside of God's plan. Sometimes that can be very hard to understand. We need to remember again that Joseph had a dream directly from God of what was going to happen. He didn't necessarily know how or when, because it was just the stars and these sheaves of wheat that had bowed to him. But he knew this was going to happen. And so when they sold him to the Egyptians, he did not necessarily know that this was part of God's plan, but he trusted God to fulfill the promise that he had made to him. Similarly, if Reuben, back in those chapters, had managed to circle back and pull Joseph out of the cistern and rescue him, he would not have been in a position to save so many lives. So even if someone had been in the position or had made a failed attempt to save you from your circumstances, even failure on that part could still be part of God's greater plan, or he can work it into his plan to still fulfill his purposes. And thirdly, I think Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because how he was treated in Egypt was not the fault of his brothers, but the fault of a sinful and forgetful people. Everything else that happens to you or I as a result of someone's sin is not necessarily a direct result of that sin, though sometimes it can feel like, well, if this one thing hadn't happened in my life, if this person had not done this to me, then nothing else since then would have happened. And I believe it is folly of a large magnitude to assume that our lives would have been so much easier or better if only this one thing hadn't happened years and years ago. This notion that our lives will be perfect is silly. Things are going to happen no matter what, even if you get your dream job, your dream spouse, your dream partner, your dream home, things will break. People are people, bosses are bosses sometimes. And so there is no one thing that if you get it or don't, will either make the rest of your life impossible or make the rest of your life easy. There will always be things to deal with. And Joseph, I think, probably knew that. And so when he was accused falsely by Potiphar's wife, he didn't attribute that to his brothers. What she did was of her own volition and own fallen nature. And when he was forgotten in jail, he probably did not sit there and lament and say, well, if my brothers hadn't sold me here, I wouldn't be stuck in this jail. He knew it was, you know, the, the fault of a forgetful person. I wanted to mention too, when we talked last week about, the last episode, about the idea of looking at the unbroken experiences of our lives. Where we need to be careful with this is what part of the experience we're looking at. Because Joseph could have looked at his unbroken experiences being his father turning against him and mocking him for his dream, his brothers turning against him and selling him into slavery. He tries to become a leader again and is accused of rape and is thrown into jail and tries to be a leader there, but the the people whose dream he interprets forget about him and leaves him in prison. And so he could have looked and said, my experience has been anytime I try to be a leader, I fail. And he could have shut down from that. 
But instead, what he would have, I believe he looked at was the fact that God promised that his brothers would bow to him. And so he knew he was going to be in some sort of leadership, headship, kingship type of position. And so he would look at the fact that everywhere he went, he rose to a position of leadership, even though the circumstances then took that leadership away from him. He was able to continue to be faithful in whatever task he was given, in whatever location he was given, and would rise to the position of leader again. And so he had multiple experiences of when he was faithful to execute his tasks well, he was given a position of leadership. And that experience was what he would have focused on to know that God's promise was indeed going to come true. So I want to point that out very quickly, um, because that too is going to make forgiveness for Joseph easier. When we recognize that God's plan for our lives is not so easily thwarted, especially by others, we can fail to follow the steps he's laid out for us. But as long as we are faithful to what God has given us to do, there is no sin that other people can commit against us that will stop God's plan from happening. And so that's where we get into looking at New Testament forgiveness, because it can look very difficult or impossible. We've, we've looked at this topic briefly in a previous episode, but since we're here, I want to talk about it again. And especially looking at a passage from Luke chapter 17, verses three through four, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, as I pointed out in the earlier episode too, it doesn't say these are necessarily different sins. This could be the same sin against you. Maybe it's slandering you to people that they're talking to. It's either potential friends or acquaintances or bosses or coworkers or whatever it is. It could be the exact same sin against you that they're committing seven times a day and come back and admit it to you and say they repent and then they go and do it again. Now, Joseph in our story rebukes his brothers in a way, uh, sort of in his way. He sets up several opportunities for them to revert to their previous and devious ways. Remember, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And so when he has the opportunity, he returns their silver to them to see if they're still only interested in money. But since he knows they came back and tried to return the money to the steward, he sees that their mercenary ways have changed. When he learns that Benjamin is the new favored son, he sets up an opportunity for them to treat him shamefully to sacrifice him for their own gain. They were more than free to say, oh, well, it was Benjamin, and we promised he would die, so here you go. Now we're rid of another one of Jacob's favorites, but they do not do it. Instead, Judah himself comes forward and tries to sacrifice himself, and they confess in his presence because they don't realize that he is Joseph and that he understands their language. They're talking amongst each other and confess that they have sinned greatly against Joseph and are being punished for it as they rightly deserve. They recognize that if this is punishment for what we did, we have deserved it. So forgiveness then does not mean that we don't give people a chance to repent. Now, whether or not they do repent is not in our power, and sometimes we must forgive from a distance, but it does not inherently mean restoration. I think Joseph forgave so quickly in their presence because he had already forgiven them, realizing that everything had happened according to God's plan and not theirs, and that was what brought him to where he was. Now, another point of this we need to talk about comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, where Jesus says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I've seen recently someone try to use this as a weapon 
to say that, well, you have to forgive me because then if you don't, then you will not be forgiven. We're going to talk about that in another second here because I want to also point out the fact that it says in the Psalms, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. There are different sins against us that will affect us differently. A slander to a friend who knows us affects us much less than a bad reference that costs us a job. Being called a derogatory name once by a stranger is different than constant verbal abuse from a family member. The Matthew passage of if you do not forgive others their sins does not give us a timeline. It does not say that during the time you harbor unforgiveness, all of your sins are likewise unforgiven. I believe rather that Jesus here is speaking about holding a grudge of being capable of forgiving but refusing out of bitterness or whatever it is. But I believe God's grace is big enough to sustain us while we struggle with forgiving. As long as our heart's desire is to forgive in whatever measure we can at the time, and his grace can also work powerfully in us to find forgiveness we might think is impossible. The Matthew passage also points us to remember that we have grievously sinned as well, and yet have found forgiveness from a supremely merciful God. So I believe for ourselves, that is the greater takeaway, is to remember that you've done stuff too. Again, it might not feel as bad. It might not feel like it has as much effect on other people. Maybe you have not damaged other people's lives as much as they have damaged yours. And that may be true, but in the spiritual sense, all sins are created roughly equal because any sin cuts us off from the relationship with God. Any sin is ultimately stemming from a point of pride of setting ourselves up above others and above God. And regardless of what we have done to ourselves, to others, to God himself, he has forgiven us and he asks us to do the same for others. As I mentioned before, we want to beware of those who use the Matthew passage to browbeat us into forgiving them. It is not for us to demand forgiveness from others or from other people to demand forgiveness from you because that is not repentance. And while we can forgive without repentance, it is not a forgiveness that returns the sinner into proper relationship with us. God himself does not forgive without repentance, though he has made forgiveness immediately available to those who ask. So we too can have forgiveness immediately ready to in essence have already forgiven this other person and be merely waiting for their repentance. For when Joseph could no longer stand it, he ordered everyone out and wept as he made himself known to his brothers. So he had already forgiven his brothers because he knew of God's plan, but took them on this journey again to make sure that they had truly repented of their ways, that they were no longer the men they had been. And when he saw that that had indeed happened, he made himself known to them and made his forgiveness known to them as well. So for us, until those who sin against us have truly repented, we are free to dissociate ourselves in order to remove ourselves from a harmful relationship. Do not think that you must stay in an abusive or harmful relationship because you must forgive them their sins when they have not repented of them. Again, I hope you have found this all useful. As I said, next week we're going to wind up the end of Genesis, our last episode before we start into season three of Topics in Faith, which we had one episode previously, for those who have been following along. I will still do kind of an introductory episode to really talk about the goals of the next season and what you have to look forward to. After that, we'll go into the actual topics themselves. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to ko-fi, that's ko-fi.com slash Daniel Didek. There's also a link in the show notes where you can go and make a donation. 
Everything we receive there will go straight back into the podcast, either funding the subscription to the server where the episodes will be stored live forever, or in upgrading equipment. One of the things we want to do eventually is move into an actual soundproof studio, so you'll be able to help by donating through that Ko-Fi page. If you want to support me more generally, you can buy my books. Links are available on my website, danieldidek.com. And as always, non-financial ways to support are to spread the word about this podcast to your friends and followers. If you've read my books, you can leave reviews and, of course, subscribing to the podcast and listening to each episode sure encourages me. And thank you. Until then, keep the faith and keep it old school. Bye.